Hi, this is Allison, and this is the recap for episode 206 of Alohomora. And hey guys, Kat here today as well. Just the two of us, which is Just kind us. of fun for a change. Yeah. So we're here to do some recap on a really great episode, which if you haven't listened to it, you need to go listen to it right now. Um, Eric, Michael, uh, Mary, and Kristen did a great job talking about it. Um, <laughs> I feel a little weird doing this recap. I feel like I'm not as knowledgeable <laughs> as any of them. And so... Uh, we're not at all in yeah. any way, shape, or form. We'll preface by saying so that for sure. <laughs> we're just we're just going to try. For sure. We're going to do our best. And you guys all had great comments, so we're just gonna we're just gonna go off those. <laughs> As usual, uh, before we pop into the recap comments, we do just want to take a quick moment and thank our Patreon sponsor for this wonderful recap, and that is uh, Sam Salvage. So thank you, Sam, very much. You are a gift and a wonder. Uh, and Lohamora could not continue to do what we do without fabulous people such as yourself. Thank you. Thank you, thank Sam. Thank you. Claps, claps, Yay. Claps. Snap, snaps. And anyone out there, you guys can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month. Quite literally, like two pennies. Why can I never do math when it comes to dollars? <laughs> Three pennies per day. I always think a dollar is 60 pennies. Like, That's I know that hour. it's 90. I mean, I know that it's 100. Oh, my God. What is wrong with me? Um, okay. For something like three point, uh, barely three pennies a day, you can become a sponsor of Alohomora. And those pennies, all 100 of them, go to us and help us keep the show running for hosting fees and all of the like. So head over to patreon.com backslash alohomora or alohomora.mugglenet.com and click on the Patreon tab at the top. And we do release all sorts of really wonderful things for our sponsors, exclusive tidbits um, and things of that nature. So please do do that. We very much sincerely appreciate you. Uh, and thanks again to Sam for sponsoring this episode. Thank you. And my terrible math. Whoops. Now we're going to jump into all of your great comments, which you left a lot of really good, thoughtful, insightful comments. So thank you so much. But we can only do a few. And our first one today is from Ravenclare, who said, this episode made me wonder about allergies in the wizarding world. Would they be as easily curable as the muggle common cold? The only relevant passage I can think of is in Deathly Hallows, where Hermione disguises Harry with, I think, a stinging hex. This is an instance of where magic replicates the effects of a medical condition. Would wizarding children be cured of allergies at an early age? Could a spell immediately relieve an allergy sufferer in much the way that a muggle EpiPen would? When Harry tells the Snatchers that he has been stung, is it lack of sympathy that prevents them from undoing the stinging effect of the hex, or does no such spell exist? Which... Caught my attention. Oh, okay. Mostly because muggles, we do have a way of kind of curing allergies. Um, my dad had really, really bad allergies, um, especially in the spring. And they have, like, what they do, it's kind of like immersion kind of stuff, where they mix up sure. the a compound of everything you're allergic to, and then they give you, like, regular injections that builds up like your resistance to it but yeah, i never that's thought why they, about that's that. why they say to like eat local honey if you have allergies yeah. because it has all of those uh all the compounds in it that you're supposed to be allergic to exactly and i mean this is true too because like i was i'm allergic to cats kind of 
And, um, and I was like, oh, there's a lot of cats wandering around Hogwarts. <laughs> so what right. do you do no, if someone's right. like, right. someone's allergic to cats, but half of their doormates have a pet cat. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Okay. So I feel like there, some of these students have to take, they must take muggle medicine. Yeah. They, I mean, they have to. Imagine somebody like Hermione. If she grew up, obviously she wouldn't have crookshanks if she was allergic to cats. But let's pretend she was allergic to cats for the first nine years of her life. She can't just suddenly go off of an inhaler or her Claritin or Flonase yeah. or whatever. Not sponsored. This is not sponsored by any of those people for the record. <laughs> um, just because she's suddenly at Hogwarts and knows magic. Yeah. You know, what about what about kids who have asthma? I mean, it's the same thing. Like magic can't fix the physiology of your body. But right? but man, um <laughs> it can slight... it can fix bones. It can fix bones, but it can't make somebody overweight. It can't make them lose 40 pounds. It can't change their muscles or their blood. But does well, it? Okay. Let's not talk about the blood because that's a weird one. No, um, not not even not even just that. But I'm I'm thinking, okay, minor Fantastic Beast spoiler. Like, shut your ears, skip ahead a couple seconds if you don't want to hear it. Um, Newt tells Jacob, "You're a you're a Muggle. You have slightly different physiology than me. So is there something in magical blood maybe that lessens these kinds of things like?" The cold, or even just like simple pain. I'm thinking like headaches or like allergies, things like that. Muggle nuisances, so to say. Yeah. Have they some have wizards somehow like evolved to be able to not have to deal with those? It. Uh, I mean, at least for the common cold, it would seem so because they just take like the pepper up potion mm-hmm. um, when they get a little sniffly, and that makes them all better. I don't know if that's like the equivalent of. I don't know, Alka-Seltzer or something is what I would hmm. imagine. Something bubbly that keeps your body effervescent. I don't even know. I don't even know what Alka-Seltzer <laughs> does. Let's be real. Um, I think that's an interesting prospect, though, thinking that it's just something in the magical blood that keeps them from getting kind of, like I said, these uh, muggle nuisances, so to say. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They have a stronger immune system somehow. I mean, they do live a lot longer. Wizards yeah. live a lot longer. Dumbledore maybe- was 115 years old when he died. Mm-hmm. So, Or maybe it is something just as simple as like, like pepper up potion, but they have like allergy potions and you just down a sip of allergy potion every morning and it takes care of it. I don't know. Um, maybe. Hmm. Hmm. I wish we could find a doctor from St. Mungo's to tell us. A healer. Uh, sorry, a healer. <laughs> Not a muggle nutter that cuts people up? <laughs> no, 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 no. Freudian slip. <laughs> Do they have an equivalent to Freud in the wizarding world? I don't know. Let's not go there. <laughs> I'm oh, sure man, that they that do. A whole other, whole other, <laughs> whole other problems. Mm-hmm. Well, our next comment, moving on. Our next comment is, I guess, kind of similar, but it comes from Spinner's End. And they say, regarding the discussion about eyesight, firstly, I think the characters that have glasses were done as a character choice. But is the, is this the difference between something that happens to a wizard and something a wizard is born with? 
Harry seems to have been born with poor eyesight, or at least discovered it early in childhood, whereas many of the other injuries we see happen to people later in life seem to have some sort of effective treatment, like Lupin and his werewolf bite. Okay, so... Hmm... Okay, I really want to talk about Fantastic Beasts here because there's something <laughs> or somebody who has a thing, and I've talked about this with people, but we'll skip it because we're trying to stay away from spoilers. Um, but yes, I do think being born with something as opposed to learning something or having something done to you later in life makes a difference as to how that can be treated. If you're born with something... It's inherently in your blood, your bones, your personality, your the total makeup of who you are as a person. And not to say that, that if something happens to you or you develop an ailment later in life, not to say that that doesn't also completely change the makeup of who you are, but there was a time where you weren't that person. So um, think about, uh, for instance, muggles who become deaf later in life, whether mm-hmm. by disease or circumstance or whatever there was a period of their of their life where they were not deaf and so obviously deafness is never never curable it's not actually disease it's not a disability it's it's none of those things but um you know that it it does change who you are but in a different way as if you were born with it that's that's what i was thinking was i was wondering like especially if we're talking about eyesight if you were born blind versus you went blind later, could you fix being blind if it was later, but not Ugh. if you were born with it? I'm not sure blindness could ever... Um, how? It, okay, if that were the case, all you'd have to have is that one wizard that realized they could become rich off fixing people's eyesight. That's true. And it'd be over with. Somebody like Lockhart? Mm-hmm. Imagine Lockhart being an eye doctor. Oh, man. Come on. Oh, that's terrifying. Don't say that. (laughs) I mean, look at what he did to Harry's arm. Yeah. (laughs) But for real, um, if if those things were curable, it would take just that one person to take advantage of muggles in that way Mm. and and use their gift of magic as as a way to make money quick and take take advantage of muggles, just like I said. Yeah. And I'm not sure, obviously I wasn't on last week's episode. Uh, I did listen to it, of course. But Lupin and his werewolf bite, I feel like, is totally outside the realm of kind of these normal abnormalities, so to say. Eyesight and allergies and things of that nature are not as major as being bitten by They're a not werewolf. magical. And I think right, they're a, not magical. They, those. Right, those are those are human ailments, and not uh, magical ones. Yeah, good mm-hmm. point, Allison. Thank you. That is what I was trying to articulate. <laughs> Moving into something a little bit more serious of a topic um, that was covered on last week's episode, Diskid has a comment for us. That's next. And they say, "I've always seen parallels with Frank and Alice Longbottom when it comes to disabled veterans." They were tortured brutally by Death Eaters who were hoping for information, and they never gave in. They're definitely heroes, but as a result, their mental state was severely affected to the point where they could no longer function. This isn't uncommon among veterans. Many veterans out there suffer from PTSD and or other mental disabilities due to torture or other experiences they suffered as a result of war. 
There's a good number who can no longer function mentally because of their experience. I wouldn't be surprised if J.K. Rowling had this same thought in mind with the Longbottoms, war heroes who will never be able to function in society. However, correct me if I'm wrong, that they were tortured into crazy. Quote crazy, not actual. You know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be insensitive. They yeah. were tortured. They were tortured. And the Cruciatus curse was used on them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Correct? Yes. So I don't disagree with this person's post uh, with what this kid is saying here. But I do think that the circumstances are very different. Mm. Very different. I think it's interesting to think that she could have been trying to draw that parallel, though. Um, even though it got there in a different way. But I mean, even just... I just read a biography about um, World War II POWs. And at the end, it talks about how a lot of them went back. And actually, a lot of them were, it was focused on a specific one from England. And they went back and they just couldn't, they couldn't deal, especially with the changing society of England in the 50s. Um, They just found themselves unable to kind of deal with those niceties when they had just dealt, when they just come off of dealing with such brutality, um, especially in Japanese POW camps during World War II. Um, and how a lot of them found themselves very restless and they just couldn't stay in England because of it. So I, I think that's, it's interesting to see that there's definitely I definitely see the parallel, as I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. I agree. And and uh, in a way, I feel like this is partially what Dumbledore is talking about when he says that there are things worse than death. Mm-hmm. And imagine being Neville. Yeah. Having to see your parents like that. Or to be his parents. And they've completely vacated their life. They are the shells of them former selves inside the vessel of who they once were. It's sad and tragic story. And yeah, I, I, I definitely think that is a metaphor of anybody who has suffered that much of a loss, whether it's a loss within themselves or of themselves or of a family member or whomever. And oh. It, Neville's story in so many ways for me is significantly more tragic than Harry's yeah. because uh, Harry doesn't have to deal with the aftermath of his parents being not who they once were. And Neville, as I mentioned, had a point in his life where his parents were his parents. Yeah. And and he has he has to remember that every day. He remembers that every day. And sure, Harry not having real memories of his parents um, other than what he saw in the mirror of Erised is tragic, but in a very different way, in um, a very different way. That's all I'll say. And I, I think, too, equating the long bottoms to that makes a point about how often society, instead of trying to understand why people who come back from war with PTSD, instead of trying to understand why they're having that reaction and help them readjust so often they just kind of get pushed to the side um 
I mean, put in a mental home, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we hear all the time about people saying, oh, the Longbottoms, they were so brave. But no one really seems to care what's up with them Mm. at this point. It's almost as if other people talk about them as if they're dead. But they're still alive. And Neville still has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, I mean, there's kind of that parallel there of how they're often, they're so often shunted to the side when probably people should be doing more to try and um, understand them and help them come back into feeling like a part of society. I agree. Wholeheartedly. Which, that kind of goes into our our uh, next comment, which is, it's a very long one, but it was very good and i thought it it dealt with a lot of things that um we're talk we're talked about last episode and it's from sorted priorities which is a great username um and they say that they're a caseworker for kids in foster care who have been through a lot we talk all the time in trainings about trauma informed care and what information we can learn about kids past from their behaviors the trauma reactions can be broken down into five categories flight fight, freeze, hyperarousal, and attachment difficulties. As soon as I looked at Harry in Order of the Phoenix as a kid who's experienced serious trauma, and not just as an annoying, angsty teen, I really enjoyed the book a lot more. Harry had a lot of fight reactions to the trauma of seeing his friend murdered in front of him by the same guy who murdered his own parents, not to mention being tortured and having a near-death experience himself. Uh, They've also viewed Ariana as a victim of sexual assault as opposed to the autism experience, to each their own experience, and thus the beauty of Harry Potter, and would categorize Ariana's reactions as freeze and flight. She seems to try and psychologically shut down her magic and to try not to think about her traumatic abuse. It's not possible to forget or shut down that kind of trauma or the innate magic parts of herself that she feels cause her to be attacked, and so then she suffers magical meltdowns. This is very real to life. When kids, teens, adults go years suppressing and keeping their abuse a secret, it eventually comes to the surface in extreme ways. On one level, I'm shocked that someone as wise as Dumbledore would not have any mental health surfaces available for the school after Cedric's death, and again after all the villainous things Umbridge put the students through. Then I think about the trauma that Dumbledore himself has been through with his family, and with Grindelwald that he hasn't really addressed to my knowledge, save for speaking with McGonagall about it, perhaps. There's a cycle of trauma, and I would argue that Dumbledore's trauma reaction is that he has difficulty attaching and forming healthy relationships with others, and why it's easier for him to raise Harry like a pig for slaughter. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to touch on the Dumbledore stuff, because actually our next episode is entirely about Dumbledore, and I feel like uh, we will definitely talk about that, so stay Mm -hmm. tuned for that. and I can't touch on the Ariana stuff because if you haven't seen Fantastic Beasts, that's all I'm going to say. Yep. <laughs> um, so we will go back to the Harry and the reference to Order of the Phoenix and the serious trauma and the fight reactions. 1,000%. 1,000%. And that is part of the reason that I love that book so much because Harry finally realizes and it sucks that it's because of a trauma, but he finally realizes that he has to put into action so many things to 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 get to that ultimate goal. 
And once he learns that, once he learns about that prophecy and learns that everything that Dumbledore has been keeping a secret from him and not telling him and how he has to be the one to vanquish the Dark Lord, all of that fight reaction is, that is the power that he needs and it gives him the strength that he needs to go into battle. And that is part of the reason that Order of the Phoenix is my favorite book by far, is that we finally get to see Harry have a reaction that is true and good with its intentions. And uh, not to say that he's never had true and good intentions before, but they were always for very different reasons. And this time Harry is fulfilling something purely for um for the greater good and he's going he's moving forward and he's doing something um and really taking his past experiences and not just being reactionary to something and um I love that I love that so much about that book I love it I've Harry grows from very much a um an unwilling child so to say, even though he lives through all those things, he doesn't want to and he doesn't want to have to, um, to um, an adultish child who realizes that sometimes you have to sacrifice the things that you love in life and even yourself um, to save everybody else that you love. So, Well, that was beautiful. <laughs> and so I have nothing to add to I probably it. went totally <laughs> off topic, too. No, it's fine. That. Because I... I'll be honest, Order of the Phoenix is not one of my favorite books. It's actually probably down at the bottom when I rank the books. Oh, um, that's so sad. Because, but now reading this, I, I think next time I read it, if I look at it through that lens, I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more. Oh, and I think good. I'm going to understand Harry a lot more. Because, I mean, I can talk about different things that of why... <laughs> why basically I spend most of Order of the Phoenix wanting to just like smack Harry upside the head and tell him to just move, do something about it. But, um, yep, that's, that's it. <laughs> I think you said it much better than I could. So I'm happy to, I'm always happy we'll just, to defend my favorite book. <laughs> we'll always happy to go there. there. <laughs> um, though I do think the thing that's interesting about what they said about Dumbledore was, not having mental health services. And while part of me is like, I don't think wizards have those because wizards don't seem to have things like those, which is dumb. But um, I, I think it's interesting to think that maybe part of the reason Dumbledore didn't see how much some of the students were suffering and even Harry was suffering is because he had been clamping down on his own trauma and mm. for so long that he forgot how raw it could feel and that sometimes people need help getting through that and i think he also huh, forgot to pay attention to that stuff because oh yeah you know uh voldemort came back and he kicked it into high gear he wasn't around at hogwarts for most of harry's fifth year and um I I think that he, rightfully so, had other things on his mind. Um, yeah. Than dealing with that. As, as much as I think that would have been great. I feel like the students can talk to each other about that as well. So, and probably a lot of the muggle, the muggle kids went home and 
started acting out with their parents and they put them in therapy anyway. So it's okay. So our last one for today comes from the Society for Rescue of Vanished Animals, <laughs> which is another great username. You guys are so clever. I think it's anyway. Hermione in disguise. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, which, speaking of Hermione, they say they never read Hermione as having difficulty interacting with others socially after Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone. Yet I do recognize her in her character and innate perfectionism. Her worst fear at age 13 is failing her school exams. She always needs to have the right answer. She panics or gets down on herself when she doesn't know or forget something. These traits mostly make Hermione endearing or are used as gentle humor. Her slightly manic test preparation mode never comes across as severe test anxiety, for example. But connecting back to the discussion on the Women of Potter episode, what if Hermione were the main character? Would we see more of the negative effects of her perfectionism? Perfectionism can feed or evolve into anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. And I started to wonder if Hermione struggles with any of those things, too. I think that Hermione does struggle with some of those things. Obviously, she has anxiety. I feel mm -hmm. like that one jumps out above all of them. Um, I think that any normal teenager, doesn't matter how happy you are or how many friends you have or what your home, like, home life is like, has depression, too. Um, it is an, an unfortunate, necessary part of growing up. We realize that oh, being an adult isn't always as fun as you think it is. And you can have the happiest life and still be really sad and really hate other parts of your life. So yes, I do think at least those two things. Um, Hermione probably, she probably didn't struggle with. But, you know, like I said, like any average person has anxiety and depression about something at some point in their life on a semi-regular basis. It's even if it is just something like homework um, that, you know, for a lot of people, especially somebody like Hermione, that's, that's not an abnormal, an abnormal fear for her. Eating disorders is a harder one. Uh, we almost never see them eat. So really all of them probably have, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unless it's Ron, I think um. <laughs> yeah, except Ron, right? I do. I don't see her as a character that would struggle with that because, as much as she may have anxiety and depression, I feel like Hermione knows ninety-five percent of the time who she is, mm -hmm. and she's true to herself for the most part. Obviously, she second guesses herself like any normal any normal teen or any human, any normal human, you know, second guesses himself. But I think for the most part, she's very secure about who she is and what she believes and where she wants to go in life. So I don't see her having issues with that one because eating disorders tends to come from um, a self-esteem problem. Mm -hmm. So, or being bullied or things of that nature. So, which I mean, obviously Hermione dealt with, but not to the extent that I believe others do. Yeah. So. I I thought about it, and I think we see she... I think there's definitely indication she could have anxiety in the books. Um, her just... her The biggest example I thought of was Deathly Hallows. Um, in the morning, they're going to go break into the ministry. It talks about how she was sitting at the kitchen table, muttering the plan over and over to herself. Um, and the way she feels like she has to have a detailed plan before she can do something um 
that we see over and over. And the other reason I thought about it is, as someone who very much connects with Hermione, I was a perfectionist as a kid, a lot. Um, my worst fears still are failure and pain. And, um, and I can see, looking through my life, how some of that perfectionism as a kid has fed into my own depression and anxiety that came along with that. And it, it's funny because, I mean, it's, it's something you don't really think about when you think about Hermione, but it goes with the way that a lot of people, when you have things like that, we, we become very good at hiding them. Um, you start to realize, okay, and that goes with the perfectionism too of how can I be as normal as possible? And so you start to bury that and it's one of those things that pops out at random times. Um, which I think is, is one of the reasons why Hermione panics in some of those uh, high-risk situations where they don't have a plan. Whereas Harry just kind of acts instinctively. Hermione wants to make sure everything is put in place because of, I think, some of that innate anxiety. So that was an interesting thought, I think, um, that we forget about is that because, because Hermione loosens up a little bit, I think we forget that she was such a perfectionist for so long um, and that she still carries some of that with her throughout and that impacts what she thinks and what she does um, every day throughout yeah. the series. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And those are our comments for last episode. Really good ones as usual. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I'm never surprised at this point about how amazing and how insightful all of you listeners are. And uh, I do want to send out props to Eric and Michael and Kristen and our guest Mary uh, for that amazing episode last week. And there was a lot of really wonderful comments and praise for them. And I think it was all very justified. It's a hard topic. And... I think they handled it very well. So kudos to all of them and kudos to all of you for sending in your amazing comments. Thank you. Claps. And just before we wrap up, we want to give some more claps to our Patreon sponsor one more time. And that was Sam Selvage. Thank you, Sam, very, very much. And just a reminder, you guys can all sponsor us for just $1 a month, three pennies per day. <laughs> just over three pennies not two not one not four but three and you can do that over on patreon.com backslash alohomora and as we alluded to a little bit earlier our upcoming topic for this week our full episode this week is none other than albus dumbledore so make sure you give that one a listen uh really deep discussion <laughs> happening but we still feel like we only scratched the surface but yep, it's coming up next on that iTunes feed or your podcast feed. So once we wrap it up here, just keep going. You got a, a a good a good length discussion coming towards you on Dumbledore. And uh with that, I'm out. Uh Kat Miller. Allison Sigurd is out too. And we'll talk to you very soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.